0: A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned.
1: The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be.
0: The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode, and we'll look back at Joss Whedon's iconic show. I'm MC, and I'm here with...
2: This is Andy.
1: And this is David.
0: This is episode 110, It's Nightmares. Uh, It aired uh, May 12th, 1997. The story was written by Joss Whedon. A uh, teleplay by David Greenwalt and directed by Bruce Seth Green. Wow, we've got... I think this is the first episode where, like, we've got some heavy hitters on this one. I mean, yeah. this is the first one that Joss has done since uh, The Harvest, so...
1: Right. And has Bruce Seth Green directed anything? I've seen he did,
0: he did direct uh, an episode a couple back. I can't remember exactly which one, but we, okay. we have had him before.
2: And we'll see him again... Many, many, many times. Oh, yeah. yes. He's, yes. he's no, definitely... Yeah, he's one of the
0: regular directors. So, at least in the early show. I don't know if he lasted all the way till the end. But at least until season three, I think. So,
2: hmm. I think so, yeah. He's... I, and I was going to point out, as we got to it, he um, he does really good work. He's he one does, of the ones yeah. where I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, this is definitely better than a lot of what we get sometimes in these early episodes Mm -hmm. a much more um cohesive directing style visual style yeah
1: this this is this episode is very nicely put together
2: yeah i was wondering like
0: because joss obviously wrote the story for this and he did have uh teleplay written by david greenwald who is huge for buffy and angel i really felt like this episode while it's kind of a standalone this is really building up to the finale more than i really think anything else we've gotten so far i mean we've gotten hints of what's going to happen in prophecy girl but nightmares is really almost like a character study before that happens and i i think that's mostly because of joss doing the original story for this Right. And
2: I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Joss did some cleanup work on a lot of these scripts, oh, especially yeah, definitely. going forward. Yeah. Um, uh, to like... I know
0: when uh, Jane and Marty came onto the show, at the very least, they were saying that Joss had a hand in writing every single episode. And so it was probably the same way back during the first season. It's just they had such a turnover in terms of writers that I don't think that they did a lot of interviews with where they were talking about exactly what kind of input joss had and everything but joss had enough in this that he actually had a, a credit right on the story
2: yeah and i think talking about the episode and actually bruce seth green's direction i found the the visuals really memorable and the the contrast that the episode is actually really brightly lit
0: which is surprising, um, considering how dark the episode is.
2: Right, it's a it's a it's an episode about nightmares. Which you think nightmares, you think night, you think things that happen in, you know, the darker times. Actually, the physically darker nighttime, and it, it had just such a bright and very clean look about it, but mm-hmm. also a very heightened look about it. Like it, it there, it really. Gosh, what am I trying to say? It was a very dream. It made a very dreamy episode. The way it yeah. was shot had this very disorientingly dreamy sort of vibe to it, which I I really appreciated. it.
1: Yeah, actually, I there, there is one section where I find it the the lighting and uh, film quality to be quite variable. Um, I don't know if you want me to discuss that now or wait till Go we get it. to it. Okay, well, sure. it's like it's when Buffy's dad. Not her actual dad, her nightmare dad, shows okay. up and comes to the library. That scene in the library, like the shadows there are really extreme, like yeah. the shadows on on Giles's face are not bright like like that scene is not bright, and then when huh. they go outside and have to talk on the bench, that is really like grainy looking to me, and huh. one shot is one shot of Buffy's reaction is actually kind of almost out of focus. It's, Interesting. Uh, it's oh, yeah, it's an oddity there. I don't I mean, I can think of, you know, God knows how many reasons for that to have happened, but and 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 if I wasn't watching it in the detail that we're watching it because we're doing a podcast, it would probably have gone right by me. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I noticed that and it was like, "Oh, this doesn't look this looks off." So, maybe it's just me, but uh I found that a little sort of, "Huh, that's" weird
2: and i didn't notice that And i think it's i mean it's probably also the format one is looking at the episode through whether um you're actually just pulling it up on netflix because you're too lazy to get up and pull your (laughs) dvds out that would be me right Right. um or you're watching it on the dvds because i'm finding when i'm watching on my dvds because they're in you know square screen format which is what we all had in 1997 ah, yes. sometimes things are looking grainier than i think they probably did back on my box television back that in the day be, that uh, may be part of it but we're unfortunately losing buffy on netflix on i was baseball. gonna say
0: since you brought up netflix we got to give a moment of silence to that buffy and angel are going to be leaving netflix and
2: and people. firefly and dollhouse and the X-Files. everything joss yeah and the x-files so Pour, mm. pour one out for the X-Files, too. Yeah, um,
0: hopefully they'll come back eventually, because Netflix has been known to do that, to bring stuff back if there's uh, people asking for it. And it's possible maybe Buffy and Angel are leaving because they're planning to do some sort of uh, 20th anniversary sets or something. I don't know. Maybe.
2: And, and mm. I know that people have awesome. really been complaining about the conversion of episodes yeah. to Netflix. Like, they actually showed the rebroadcast version of Once More with Feeling on Netflix. Ew. It was not the full version with the with the extra eight minutes in it. Yeah. So, oh. And people have really been complaining about that. But Netflix has also stated that they want at least 50% of what's on there to be their original programming. So I'm yeah, hoping they are somewhere like Amazon that. picks up the contract. Listeners, you can still find it on Hulu Plus if you have a subscription, if you don't own the box sets, because I don't want new generations of Buffy fans to miss out on – the greatest television show ever produced
0: and of course it is also available on like itunes and
2: things like that so i mean i have two sets of the box set or two sets of the episodes but i'm come on i (laughs) do you have like the
0: individual seasons and then the big uh chosen box set they came out with
2: i do yeah i I collected each individual season and then um my ex actually got me the the box set later on
0: I resisted the urge to get the box set I really wanted to because I think there's actually some extras on it that were not on the initial
2: there's uh, an extra disc and it's not much to write home about it's just like an it's like like an interview or two it's nothing that's earth-shattering it's just nice for me and my messiness to have a backup set of yeah. dvds that's kind of the so. reason
0: why i never got it because i did collect the seasons uh individually but eventually i'm going to have to upgrade it like there, i've got discs in a couple of them that have like been watched too many times so yeah they no i no longer work
2: my individual sets. some of the times i'm like oh that's skipping so i'll go find the, the box set and pull out those discs because i have not watched them nearly as much yeah. like physically watched them so Back
0: to the episode! Yes, back to the episode. (laughs) Uh, Well, this episode is all about nightmares, and most Mm -hmm. of these nightmares are caused by Billy. Thanks a bunch, Billy! But the first dream that we actually get is just one of Buffy's prophetic nightmare things. And one thing I was wondering in watching her go into the Master's Lair and the Master being in there, I was wondering... Does Buffy, using her slayer senses, actually know where the master is? But she's kind of blocking it out consciously due to fear. Because obviously the master is who she is extremely afraid of. And we will find out in Prophecy Girl that the master is destined to kill her. So I'm kind of wondering, does Buffy know where the master is? And she just won't allow herself to know it during, you know, daytime hours until she's kind of accepted that the Master is going to kill her. Hmm. That's I, a good question.
1: I, I I don't really know. I, I, I mean, part, part of, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking, like, part of that is a question of when we say it's one of her prophetic dreams, how prophetic are her prophetic dreams? Because, as we know, spoilers, the Master does kill her. <laughs> Uh, And is this just, in her dream, it has to go the way it does for that part of their interaction that will come to Mm -hmm. be a prophecy in the dream?
0: Yeah. Well, certainly there must be some sort of supernatural element to it because she knows what the Master looks like even though she has never met him. So, so yeah. um, I am wondering if there is, you know, some... Uh, supernatural element to it in mm-hmm. that she knows where the master is, but that since the prophecy has to go the way it's going to go, it can't actually happen until, uh, until she's accepted that the master is going to kill her. So I don't know. It's it... just an idea I came up with because I love coming up with ideas. Right. I no, I, I mean, really... I,
1: I, it's certainly a valid idea as far as nightmares are concerned, and that's that's sort of my question: is how much of this is just how much of this is prophetic nightmare? How much of it is just Buffy's own own nightmare?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that is something that Giles actually brings up uh, later in the episode when they need to find Buffy because of the things that she dreams about. So,
2: Oh, I was just going to say in that, in that little, um, just that short little dream she has about the master that her outfit is totally desaturated. Like it's not Buffy colors. It, Mm -hmm. it, looks like the master's clothing in that same gray and black tones, yeah. mm. which I thought was an interesting choice because Buffy, you know, her clothing is very bright. It's yeah. very cheerful looking. And in that they had her, at least for the first couple of seasons, Then she has the like red leather pants and, Ooh. you know, things like right. that. And yeah. like, and I think they're, I think the customer's using that kind of stuff for contrast later on too. But, and yeah. this, yeah, her, her outfit was, Like grays and blacks, and her hair was a hundred percent adorable. But the rest of it, like very, very dark, very desaturated. I would say, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. Is you know how how much of the dreams we see are prophecy or mystical, and how much of it is Buffy's own psyche. Because, yeah. like, when late, later in the episode when Giles said, you never told me you dreamed of becoming a vampire. It's like, I'm yeah. trying to remember, does she, does she doesn't become a vampire in Prophecy Girl, right?
0: No, she doesn't, no. She's right. She's bitten, but.
1: Right, so, so it's, so, like, that doesn't come to pass. Yeah. And so that's obviously an actual nightmare of hers, not yeah. a psychic projection. Yeah. So, so I, I, I suspect. I mean, it, it would be an interesting thing t- if this was, of course, real. There's no way to really tell, but it would be interesting if it was a, if her nightmares were in fact a mix of prophecy and what's going on in her own head.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But of course, because it's, you know, fiction and. We don't have all the information. We'll never know.
2: Yeah. And you do get a lot, a lot of insight into Buffy's psyche in this episode, way more than you get with the other characters in terms of what their nightmares look like.
0: uh, You get a lot from everybody, but definitely this is a Buffy episode. This is. Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, this is a fantastic character episode getting to know everybody because a lot of these characters are still, real question marks to me and we we've gotten a lot more and i have to give this episode a freaking round of applause because the first scene with buffy and willow talking it passes the Bechdel test
2: yay finally finally Yeah,
0: yeah they are talking about a guy but it's buffy's dad so it doesn't count
2: yeah, I don't think this that counts the, either. Yeah,
0: this is the first time they that Buffy and Willow have actually been together without Xander being there and having a conversation that does not involve talking about Xander or Angel. Or what's his name? Uh, yeah, I can't remember what his name is now. The, the kid from Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. Owen. Oh, oh, uh, uh, Owen Thurman. Owen. Yes. Um, yeah, they're, they're talking about something that is not... Related to romance at all. It's something that's very important, and we find out a lot more about Buffy and her history. And we find out as many problems as we have with Joyce. She is so much better than Hank because he's the fucking worst.
2: He really is, and I I think my perception of Hank is always going to be colored by what he says to her in her nightmare, because as and now that you've said it, David. I think some of the things that her dad says, one, are totally her feeling incredibly insecure. and But I think some of them might be a little true. Yeah. Because he just leaves. You know, we don't yes. see him much. And I don't think it's because Dean Butler wasn't available all yeah, the time. Yeah, this is the first
0: of five appearances. Mm-hmm. And of those appearances, only two of them are actually real appearances from him the others are all flashbacks or dream sequences Uh Uh, and they're all very short like the only time you see him for real in this episode is at the very end when he's picking up buffy and then the only other appearance by him is when he's dropping off buffy in when she was bad Uh all of Mm. the other ones are dreams or there's a flashback in becoming part one where you don't even see him you just hear him arguing with joyce and they're arguing about buffy
2: no, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, obviously, you would never want to think that a parent could think these things about Buffy, about their own child, not just about Buffy. Um, but yeah, I thought that 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 whole section with the nightmare with Dad is just—it's brutal. Oh, it's, it's heart- those oh, yeah, things no, it's that terrible. I think. I think that every child, and especially a child of divorce, oh, absolutely, would, would be so absolutely insecure about and it's one of those standard insecurities that they bring up if you're you know getting separated or divorced from a partner that you know you have to make sure you tell your children this is not your fault this is nothing to do with you but if we take the episode way later normal again as any kind of canon mm. they've well, locked yes, her up of
1: course that's a tricky right? proposition and, but and yes. these
2: <laughs> things that he says is
1: um
2: you know i thought you turn out differently Mm. Um,
1: yeah. I also find it interesting. It's like, you know, does, I, maybe this is just more of a sort of storytelling issue, but it's like, in this thing, we hear, oh, yeah, my dad comes down on weekends, and we do and It's like, we have heard nothing about Hank before this.
0: She said we, he comes down on weekends sometimes. And the way sometimes. Sarah
2: Michelle Geller says sometimes is heartbreaking. Yeah. Just that way, that one word sometimes. Like it's breaks my heart. This episode is a lot darker than I remember it.
0: And we do mm -hmm. find out later that Hank was actually unfaithful to Joyce. He had had actually hooked up with his his secretary. This is something obviously Mm. Buffy doesn't know right now. Right. But it's something she will find out later. And he ends up, he moves to Europe and she says he's living the cliche. Hank obviously wanted out of his family. He was probably midlife crisising and everything that was going on with Buffy probably was not helping. And Buffy says, even here, it's like the divorce was only finalized last year, but they had been separated before that. So it's possible they had been separated even before the whole Slayer thing came up. And, you know, they kept on going back and forth. It's just kind of everything that was going on with Buffy. I mean, you don't want to blame a kid but any kind of stress on a marriage especially if one that is already kind of in the process of breaking up yeah buffy might buffy's issues might have been uh a you know kind of a straw um on that camel's back so
2: i mean i could i can totally head canon it And seeing Joyce is the one that was really standing up for Buffy and Joyce has her faults as a parent, but I'm going to, you know, say that she really, she moves, you know, away to sort of start over She's trying to support Buffy in that starting over, and she doesn't always go about it in the best way. Like, I do want her in parenting classes every now and then. She generally does try to engage with Buffy, to speak to her, to ask her what's going on in her life, and Hank just doesn't, he's just done.
0: Well, Joyce does mention reading parenting books and doing all of this other stuff just to be able to relate to Buffy. So Mm
2: -hmm. I
0: get the impression if we're taking some stuff from the Buffy movie uh, and some things that Joyce has said and what we see on the show, I think that Buffy's parents were like really wrapped up in their own stuff. And then all of this, all of these things started to happen with Buffy and possibly them being wrapped up in their own stuff had to do with the fact that their marriage was breaking up, but they were kind of, you know, it hadn't quite happened yet. And then when all of this stuff with Buffy started happening... It would not surprise me in the least if Hank had wanted to keep her locked up because we do know that Buffy was in an institution for a while. Hank might have wanted to keep her locked up while Joyce wanted to actually deal with the problem themselves and that was kind of something that that split them up eventually. This is all My-
1: reasonable speculation. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean the the problem is we, we really we just have so little actual information.
0: Yeah, cuz about- we only see Hank twice. <laughs>
1: Right, we 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 never see Hank, and we never really get a, a sense of him, even yeah. from Joyce. I mean, what little we hear from Joyce is not necessarily the best, but eh, there's nothing you know really. What? I
2: will say that Joyce does not shit talk her ex husband very often. No, no, she doesn't, which is actually really a mature thing, and she's. You know, even Buffy's like, oh, I forgot my bag at home. And she's like, it's not that big of a deal. Because I think Buffy's trying to spare her mom from having to see, you right. know, her ex. And she's like, oh, I should have grabbed that bag before, you know. And she's like, it's not it, – just come by the house. It's not – she's yeah. trying to be a reasonable mother. And you right. do you even see them talking at the beginning of when she was bad. And about- when she
0: was bad, they're actually talking about how Buffy – The parenting of Buffy trying to actually co parent together, which is what responsible adults should actually do.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and it just. That's absolutely true.
2: Yeah. That whole section with Hank just, just absolutely. I think I I cried a couple tears there because I just. uh, And Sarah Michelle Geller was just. The oh thing she had, God. the thing she had to play in this episode, fear, anger, desperation, just, she ran the gamut, you know, and, and her fearfulness when she was with Billy and actually her really kindness and the way she spoke to Dream Billy. It was very tender. It was very kind. She just, she was all over the place in terms of her emotional life in this episode. And I think Sarah Michelle Geller was just so good.
0: I mean, Joss is always talking about Allie Hannigan's gigantic eyes and how she can just portray heartbreak. But Sarah Michelle Gellar in that se- that dream sequence with her dad, when he's telling her, you know, it's your fault and I don't want to see you. Just the heartbreak that's just in her eyes. Mm-hmm. And she just like there's just a few tears coming down like she's not sobbing or anything. But you can just see the glassy eyes where she just can't believe what she's hearing. And it's just, it broke my heart.
2: Mm, me too. I just. I mean, yeah. and I, you know, I'm Buffy's biggest cheerleader. I just I think about the fact that her whole life has been uprooted. And we yeah. think about this is sort of things are pretty sunny still, like tonally for the show. But there's this real underlying darkness, I think, in a lot of where we're going and we don't really get as dark until Prophecy Girl but a lot of these internalized issues have just really especially in this first season they really are very telling of who Buffy is and who she's going to be through the rest of the series and I think that's why going back a lot of these I skipped because I'd seen season one so many times and going back really has given me a great amount of insight into who Buffy is. Well,
0: I mean, if you look at all of the characters, nightmares, there's kind of like this, you know, rising level of the badness of the dream of the nightmares. Like you, Uh you have Cordelia kind of at the bottom where Cordelia's (laughs) (laughs) nightmares are all just really funny. It's like, I'm
2: not even on the chess club. (laughs) And we only see her twice. Right, we only see her when she looks in the mirror and she ends up looking like Roseanne, Rosanna Dana,
1: <laughs> yeah. like yes. Gilda ready I mean... No, no, we do see her before that, actually. And I noticed there is... The, in fact, we see her twice. Uh, she tells uh, she tells them about the, ma- the history quiz. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then... The, and this is the interesting part. This is the first time since, like, episode one, we've seen her be even decent to Buffy. When she's like, you don't know where class is. It's here.
0: Huh. Huh, that is true.
1: That This is the first... This is like the first incidence of decency on Cordelia's part in the whole series.
0: Well, well I, I think decency <laughs> might be going a little far because she was a little snotty at the time. And part of it was kind of... Oh, yeah. It, it was it, very... Uh, part of the nightmare where Buffy needs to get to the class because she needs to take the test and she needs to, you know, totally... You know, right, fail the test.
1: So, but, but yeah. I mean, for 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 Cordelia, it's decent. Yeah,
2: <laughs> well, on, I, on the bell curve. Yeah, what I meant by only seeing her twice, am I I we only see her nightmare. Yeah. twice. Oh yes, like yeah. we see her looking in the mirror, and again, mm. she looks her hair looks like Gilda Radner, Saturday Night Live, Rosanne, Rosanna, yep. Dana. Um, and then the second, familiar. and the second time, she's being pulled into the chess club, and just those two little, because again, it is a pretty dark. This episode was kind of upsetting, yeah. um, but those couple little courty things, because of course her nightmares are completely shallow. Yeah, like, and then
0: you have like Willow's dream, a nightmare, and mm-hmm. Willow's nightmare is she she has stage fright. I mean, that's not like that. Huge deal.
1: I'm, I mean, it's actually in a way, it's a callback to the end, of the uh, post-credit scene of the puppet show. It
0: is, mm-hmm. I think, actually they wrote that in after Allie uh, did the ad lib where she ran off stage, and mm-hmm. they they were working on this episode, so it's like, well, let's just write this bit in.
2: Yeah, it, it's a it's a nightmare that comes up again and again. I've had this nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> the stage fight nightmare. I've had it, um, but it's also, I think, Willow's fear of being seen or standing out
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they will deal with this a lot more once right. we get to restless which yes is yes well very earlier, much a sequel to this almost right
1: earlier she does say you know and i think it's in in relation to someone else's nightmare she's like i couldn't deal with all those people looking at me and of course that's what happens
2: <laughs> i also think it's really telling that her nightmare is not about academic failure. Buffy's yeah. nightmare, one of hers is. You would think, right. knowing what we know about Willow, even just this early on, that her nightmare would be about academic failure. Mm-hmm. But it's about being seen, it's being, it's standing mm-hmm. out. And I yeah. sort of realized within that, as they're sort of breaking down these dreams, that she has total 100% confidence that she will not be an academic failure. Yeah. That right. she's not going to have that nightmare. Even though that's what I kind of would have expected. And said Buffy, her first nightmare is about, you know, not knowing there's a test. Again, Mm -hmm. pretty common. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think the nightmares build, obviously. Yeah. From okay to, ooh, that's bad, to really, really bad. Um, Yeah. And yeah. The only characters
0: that have like multiple nightmares, we have Xander, we have Giles and Buffy. And they're the ones who all have multiple instances. Like, uh-huh. with Xander, it starts out with him having the public nudity.
1: Right. Which, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then we get his whole murderous clown phobia. Right. And Nazis. And Nazis. Very and briefly, Nazis. See and
1: that was another thing. I'm like, what is it about season one where they keep talking about Nazis in front of the nice Jewish girl? <laughs> Because yeah. they they've done this at least three times now.
0: Yeah, and it's never her that brings it up. It's usually right.
2: and she never
1: reacts. But she yeah. never reacts, and I'm like, really?
2: Well, it's the writers forgetting. Right? To no, have I mean, of Jewish course, I understand that, yeah. the
1: real world reason, but yeah. in context, it's just like, really? <laughs> it's like, Willow, come on. <laughs>
2: I mean, I don't think Xander's dreams really give you that much more insight into Xander. No, they it's being, really don't. It's, it's being naked, he doesn't like Nazis, and he doesn't like clowns. Well,
1: yeah. the thing I found really interesting about Xander and his nightmares, he's the first one to be able to fight back against his yeah. nightmares. Yeah.
0: he is. He and, he and which, Buffy which are is the not, only ones who actually like defeat anything. And I did right. find a, a... And Buffy
1: th- never defeats her nightmares.
0: I guess that is true. Yeah, she She defeats defeats Billy's nightmare. Yeah, she
1: defeats Billy's nightmare. But Xander punches the clown in the face.
0: Yeah, I did find a quote from. Well, it was a more of a note rather than a quote. Joss said that this is the episode where Xander really starts to grow up because he's able to defeat his nightmare. He, he, from this episode forward, he's going to start to be less of he's actually going to become more of an adult and one thing mm. i do have to say on xander is that there was only one moment in this episode where i thought he was gross and and
2: it's the thing with the teacher it looking is at yes. the sweater and it, that's my same thing i put because i do sort of a how do i feel about xander note at the bottom of because we've <laughs> talked about him so much and i said i have no real complaints about xander in this episode except for the grossness with the teenage lust over the teacher yeah Yes, um, and I so, want
1: to know, I want to know if that's an Ed Wood reference intentionally, because <laughs> Angora sweaters are, yeah, yeah basically you hear Angora, I hear Angora sweater, I go, oh, Ed Wood.
2: <laughs> Angora sweaters became very, very, very popular again around this era of the 90s. Uh, I know I had several, Um, like they, yeah, they were everywhere, sort of. In that kind of clueless era, where you had the little yeah. skirts and the cute angora sweaters, I do speaking know that I had of nineties
0: fashion. Xander looked so ridiculously nineties with his plaid pants and the I know the it, was shirt. <laughs> it was adorable.
2: It I was adorable. It was just like, that like that screaming
0: lot. out at me. Yeah,
1: yeah. but yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying, so, speaking of Xander, I, yes. like when when he when he does the thing with Willow, where he you know creepy crawly spiders and puts his hand on her shoulder with the fingers to freak her out. I'm like, "Oh. He is actually just 6 years old."
2: Yeah. yeah. This is
1: this is why he's like this. He's 6.
0: I found Xander and Willow's interactions throughout this episode really interesting because throughout The rest of the series, we've only seen Willow kind of pining after Xander and Xander just being like, does Buffy like me? And in this, they're actually having fun with each other. And I can actually see it's like, oh, yeah, these two are friends. And not only are these two friends, they act like siblings in this episode towards each other Mm -hmm. because Xander is doing that whole creepy crawly thing to Willow. Which my brothers totally would do to me. They'd still do that to me today, honestly. And then when Xander turns up naked, or, you know, in his boxers in the classroom, well, it was like, it was really, it was bad. It wasn't funny. Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> well, there's a, there's a hesitation before. It was bad. Like, I totally checked it out.
0: But, but I'm sure she... that
2: was really bad for you. Oh, that's, I actually, that's how I, don't, I interpreted it. I
0: don't think she was, uh, talked, she was talking about wanting to check Xander out. She, she seemed to be on the verge of laughter to be honest. Oh yeah.
1: No, no, no. She was like, she was about to say it was hilarious, but it's like, it was um bad. It was really bad.
2: Oh, interesting. <laughs> I, I, I felt again, people get to have different interpretations that we talk about it. Yeah. I well, thought sure. the pause before bad was like, yeah, it was her go thinking, yeah, no, it was really good. Thanks. thank <laughs> Naked Xander. And then she went, bad but you know it's just yeah. a different way to sort of read it and it's not like a huge deal yeah um, oh sure
0: yeah and since we're talking about uh xander and willow xander as much as he drives me crazy sometimes he is still utterly utterly quotable because mm-hmm. it's funny if you're me i still say that to this very day mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's such a great line
2: it is yes. i yeah yeah xander does he's very charming and we've talked before Nikki is incredibly charming as xander and yeah yeah, i have massive xander issues but not in this episode and even the sweater thing with the teacher i'm like dude that's just a 16 year old boy they're like gross.
1: yes
0: yeah Uh, no i did i wrote it down because i thought it was gross but it it is just a teenage boy and honestly xander haven't you learned not to not lust after teachers
1: yeah, you, you'd think he'd know by now, but no. No,
2: no he's a teenage boy. He's going to have to learn yeah, that lesson like no. six more times before it sinks into his brain. He yeah. does um, ask Wendell if his love for spiders is platonic. Because yes. Because I'm wondering if he was thinking about <laughs> Mrs. French.
0: <And>, <laughs> I did we also, love
2: that line.
1: Yes, it is great. We also know where he stands on the boxers versus briefs issue. <laughs> True. So, so more more information about Xander true yeah. <laughs> um, was this
2: i think that was before boxer breeze got super popular yeah yes
0: i
1: think I mean,
2: so right around that time you're getting a little bit but so you know i i i sort of saw xander as a boxers guy i, I did okay. not
0: notice and this is very shallow of me to notice that nikki is going to be working out um a bit more uh between now and go fish <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Because we do get that scene of him in the Speedo, and he, his chest is certainly a lot less defined than it is in that episode. And I wonder if after he saw this one, he's like, oh, geez, if I'm going to keep doing this show, I better hit the gym.
2: Well, right. but didn't Joss tell him to not get so buff? Because oh, it was true. making him feel, you know, and I'm sure they gave him plenty of heads up on the Go Fish episode. That you're going to have your shirt off and you're going to be a very very tiny (laughs) speedo. I would have given someone plenty of heads up for that.
0: I would Um, hope so.
2: You would hope so. So, um, so we talked about Willow's dream. We talked about Xander's dream and some of Buffy's Mm -hmm. dream. We have Giles. Giles. Yes. Yeah.
0: Giles is actually after Buffy the person with the most serious nightmares. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I was trying to build up, and yes, we haven't we are now to to Giles Giles's dreams are all about failing in his duties every single Mm -hmm. one of them Mm -hmm. getting lost in the stacks not being able to read this is all building up towards that moment where he sees the gravestone with Buffy's name on it Yes. and oh god Anthony Stewart had just acted the hell out of that speech in front of Buffy's grave
2: And contrast what he says about Buffy with I mean, again, I know he's dream Hank, but, you know, he's so upset and he calls her so gifted. Yeah. You know, she was so gifted and and contrast to what Hank in the dream had said is, oh, I wish you turned out differently. You're a disappointment. And so to Giles, she's not a disappointment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it his and yeah Tony had in that scene he really loves her yeah and I think he's slowly and you know it takes a while and it's you know all relationships develop um Mm -hmm. you know prophecy girl is gonna shake him up a lot yes and then it's gonna keep going and going but I think this is that moment where you're like yeah he loves her Mm -hmm. like he really really honestly loves Buffy um And again, you know, I I thought that the second theme of this episode, obviously you have nightmares, you have things like that, but I thought there was a lot of, you know, parental stuff in here, sort of the second theme. Um, We learn quite a bit about parental relationships, obviously, with Buffy and Hank, but we also get this insight into how Giles feels about Buffy Mm -hmm. um and how and then the master and colin sort of are in there yeah because the master is very much um he's asking colin questions he's sort of pulling him out he's he's educating him he's teaching him but he's also you know like that that student teacher sort of relationship so there's a lot of there's a lot of parental stuff in here including willow yeah, the scene um,
0: with the master and Colin when the master is talking about fear and how he feels about the cross—that was amazing. Mark Metcalf uh, did such a great job. Uh, yeah, just it's, it's so powerful for him to just grab onto this cross and to just see his hand smoking. And it's like, yeah, pa- fear like pain can be controlled, and mm-hmm. it just tells you how much of a badass the master actually is. He is. Yeah.
1: Also, I I think it's like when he says we are we are defined by the things we fear. I think yeah. we basically we we've just gotten the master's mission statement. Basically, yeah. that is that is what he is all about.
0: Definitely, yeah. Um, and just uh, uh, since we did bring up uh, the idea of this being about uh, uh, parental relationships. Now, this is definitely something that you see in hindsight, uh, you know, upon rewatch. But a lot of the stuff that happens with Xander, I mean, not with his nightmares, but in everything dealing with Billy, screams Mm. out to me, Xander living in an abusive home.
2: Mm. Oh, yeah. And I think the show covers it a little bit. You get it here and there Mm -hmm.
0: in the show. And I
2: don't think they really ever fully address it they
0: never fully address it they do have scenes like i mentioned restless before which has you know elements of you know sequelization of this one in restless there is actually a scene where uh i can't remember what xander's dad's name is but uh mr harris is yelling at xander and you only see you see him huge and he's like in the shadows but he's Mm -hmm it very much seems like he's going to get into just like this screaming match with xander and but he has the line when they're talking about a kitty league coach beating up one of the kids and xander's like i'm just surprised it wasn't one of the parents right and right. um we mentioned xander beating up the clown but there's also the moment where he grabs the kitty league coach Which they they point out how heroic and that is kind of the first time Xander has really done something heroic. And he looked like seriously mad at that moment. He he grabbed onto him and was not going to let him go. So while they don't ever fully address it, I really feel like it's seeded throughout the show that uh, Xander does is not going to put up with any sort of child abuse. And that might be because of, you know, personal experience.
2: Yeah, and I I don't, I mean, and we do get to see Xander's parents later, and they're really emotionally abusive alcoholics. I don't Mm -hmm. know if Xander was ever actually physically hurt. I mean, in The Dream in Restless, his dad is very physically menacing at the top of the stairs. But we don't actually get a look at his face until later at um, Xander and Anya's wedding. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, looking at it in hindsight, you can see, and I know half the time the writers don't mean to put this stuff in, but you know, you look at the bigger picture, we're analyzing a show, fans do this, that's what we do, is we sort of put sometimes more of a picture together than the writers have even thought of, so that makes us awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I do
0: think that they knew that Xander's family was not going to be great. Because I think Joss didn't want anybody's family to be great.
2: No, Uh, he he, didn't. He he, wanted.
0: He he he, he got attached to Joyce, and so Joyce became someone who tried really hard, even if she didn't Mm -hmm. always succeed. But even Willow's family, while she talks about how they just kind of glare at each other, her family is emotionally distant. And that is exactly
2: what my note says. It says we even get some background on Willow. And it's well, my my
1: note says, are they actually Jewish? Because Yeah, it
2: did sound a little more wild. They don't bicker. What?
1: <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> I mean your mom's like a I think they're just very repressed. Um...
1: I know, but that's like like tradi- I mean, well, okay, maybe this is stereotypical Jewish families, but <laughs> a lot of real Jewish families too. It's like you you don't keep your mouth shut. You really don't. <laughs>
2: This is... I don't know. I think they're very... I think those parents, the little we know about them, they're very academic.
1: Yes, that, that part rings true. Yeah. they very... we very... When we find that out. That, that You know,
2: I think their whole point of having a child was to have this little perfect sort of version of themselves yeah. that... You know they're not very emotionally invested in her. I
0: remember yeah. way back in the day of, you know, when Buffy was still on the air, probably around season two or three. The main fanon for Willow's parents was that her dad was actually a rabbi. Yeah, which, which I... looking back at it now, it's like they made her so like not really do it.
2: <laughs> Dude, they're so they're the the Jewish thing with Willow seems very much like secular Jews.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, they, like I, I really
2: don't get a deep connection to her, her sort of faith based as you know. I mean, being I have to Jew. say,
1: yeah, as much as you know, they have occasionally thrown in legitimate Jewish traditions for Willow,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: the one I, I think I've mentioned this before, the one that resonated with me always was in the body where she leaves a rock on Joyce's uh, tombstone, uh, but. They've never, never, never made her really, actually Jewish in any way, other yeah, than her I name. I th-
0: think the where the Fadden have actually came from was the episode Passion when she's nailing the cross to the wall, and mm-hmm. she's like Ira Rosenberg's only daughter nailing crucifixes to her wall, and it's actually right. not a crucifix; it's just a it's just a cross. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my yeah. my Catholicism coming out.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Uh but yeah, because of that, because she specifically says Ira Rosenberg's only daughter nailing crucifixes to her wall, And kind of yeah, the, fandom no. up, the fandom stood up the phantom stood up and yeah. said, He must be a rabbi. Yeah, uh, I just
2: I you know, I know a lot of secular Jews who would be horrified if their kid put a cross or a crucifix up on their wall without actually being Uber Orthodox.
1: Yeah. Oh, right. No, no, no. This is the, the, That is fan fandom being not really very cognizant of how Jews work. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, like, for instance, they're like, apparently, my grandparents, my mother's parents, were not religious at mm-hmm. all. Um, but my grandfather, for instance, would have never had a ham sandwich.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. yeah. you just don't do that and it's not even a religious thing it's a oh no jew like it's not even jews don't do it you you it's it's a, built into your brain no you don't do that and and the, i think this this is a similar thing with the cross mm-hmm. with with willow it's it's simply no like yeah jews don't mess with crosses
0: yeah fair enough yeah i don't know i mean i just became like huge fan and for some reason oh, no, I, no, can, I, I, I can really remember that it's it's stuck out to me uh, as mm-hmm. something that happened yeah, way back in the days when dinosaurs ruled the earth and we were all on right. dial up.
1: Right, dial okay. mean, up. I, mean, I, I can certainly see a a number of people thinking that, but as as a Jew and you know person who knows lots of Jews, yeah, it's just like no, it doesn't ring true. That that is very much more a Ira Rosenberg's only girl, only daughter just wouldn't be doing this thing because Uh. we don't do that.
0: And honestly, like thinking about the, the writers, I don't think they've had, they had many Jewish writers ever on the show.
2: Uh, I don't know. I'm not aware of. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I, defi- so I, defi- sorry, I definitely sorry you cut
1: out for a second there. I didn't yeah. catch what you said.
2: I, I said I
0: just thinking about the right the roster of writers. I actually don't think that they had a lot of Jewish writers on the show, uh, who who <laughs> might not who might know more about writing in um, right writing a Jewish character other than just you know little tiny you know mentions right. of things. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean that's the kind of you know is neither here nor there in terms of this episode but right no we've no, been talking but. about it anyways so
2: there's one funny line that I wanted to point out because of the way the line is structured is when um Willow's talking about the spiders and she says what do they need all those legs for anyway yes uh
0: yeah I know exactly where you're going with that. Right, and um, I was
2: just like, bunnies! Is actually, bunnies it much be
0: bunnies! It's really funny, actually, when you think about it, because Giles talks about how people's dreams coming true would be a musical comedy version of what mm-hmm. is going on. And then in that, we've got a theory There's the line, I've got a theory, some kid is dreaming, and we're all stuck inside his wacky Broadway nightmare. (laughs) nightmare. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I, I love that callback. The other callback I love is they talk about why is Cordy so Avita like (laughs) And then later on in Angel the Series, she threatens her roommate, Phantom Dennis, with playing the Avita soundtrack. Yeah. right. um, Which I thought was really funny. That's just a... You know, no, she doesn't say it about herself. Someone else says it about her. But obviously, Cordelia identifies with, you know, she's going to have that line in one of the episodes about, like, identifying with Marie Antoinette. And, like, she was just (laughs) trying to give people cake. And I can totally see Cordy, like, loving Avida, But only the Madonna version. Because she's, like, not that well versed (laughs) in actual theater. Which, wah. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I just thought it was funny. And just the way they... Willow's phrasing is almost exactly like Anya's phrasing yeah. in the Bunny song. So I yeah. just, I thought that was really interesting. No,
1: that's, and I, I, I do, and I love how Wendell gets so upset when they refer to yes. their spiders as bugs. <laughs> uh,
0: when Giles is having the dream about not being able to read, Anthony Spirit had really delivered the fear Giles had mm-hmm. really well. Like this confused, kind of stammering, this, he sounded helpless in a way that we had not had had Giles sound before. And this was basically the first dream that we kind of realized was actually a dream because the whole thing with the stacks was, was kind of layering very slowly. The dreams kind of progress until you actually realize what's going on. Uh, Yes. And, so this was one of the first ones where it's like, wow, there's something really wrong because I read five languages and I can't read anything. And yes. so Giles's helplessness really kind of stood out to me in that moment. And then you, it get, kind of gets called back again when he's seeing Buffy's grave. And it really, it it hurt me to realize that both Giles and Buffy have dreams have nightmares that will come true during the course of the series because Mm. giles will stand over buffy's grave at one point and buffy will have to dig herself out of a grave
2: yeah that's that's a great reflection
1: yeah no it's true
2: it actually it's gonna be mirrored you're gonna see uh giles is uh it's gonna come up in a more funny way again uh, it very much reminds me of the episode Something Blue. Oh,
0: When yeah. Giles
2: loses his vision. Yes. So, but the, in this case, hes you can see the real fear, and I can't... And in that one, it's just... That's one of my favorite episodes. That one's really get funny. There. It's, it's, well, that one's absolutely Don't great. worry, I have more scotch. Right, yeah. and, and, he's, you know, and it just shows the versatility of Tony Head, too, that he's going to play two very similar things throughout the course of this series, and, and just comedy versus tragedy right um sort of that but yeah i just giles's nightmare the other thing i think is so interesting is buffy as a vampire is never brought up again no right it's one of her fears and just there's that part of me as a fan that's like i always want to know more about slayers that became vampires that were turned
0: that is such a fascinating thing for me i've always been obsessed with the idea of slayers turning into vampires and i don't i think they might have done it in the comics i don't know because i don't read they the have
2: they have but i believe it's been a while that the character that is turned, she does it on purpose. Yeah, well, um, but I... It's kind Simone Doffler or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And um, I think she gets herself turned on purpose. Yeah,
0: I've always been fascinated by the idea of this before it happened in the comics, and I don't read them, so whatever but like do they keep their slayer strength and do they get vampire strength on top of it i actually uh i wrote Mm -hmm. a virtual series for the longest time and i actually had a former slayer who was like the uh we haven't talked about the buffy formula yet but there's always and i'll we'll get into it more in the second season when we'll start to see it but on buffy you have a little bad and then a big bad so like the little bad's Mm -hmm. like the first half of the season and then the big bad will take over for like the second half so I had this vampire vampire slayer as the little bad in the ah. first half of the season so she was like super powerful but also you know she had the slayer strength but she also had the vampire strength but there was also like she couldn't get along with other vampires because she was a slayer so sorry
1: yeah no you'll notice you'll notice that Buffy can't take on the ugly man as herself. Yeah. She can only defeat him when she's a vampire.
0: Well, I mean like as as soon as she comes out of that grave, she never is out of vamp phase. She's in the it's right. almost like she can't not have vamp phase. Uh and cuz that's part of yeah. the nightmare. Part of the nightmare is that she is this demon.
1: They don't really do much with the the vampire thing with her yeah the yeah.
2: vampireness of it all she says is i'm getting a little hungry yeah right um she doesn't actually really take on that many aspects of a vampire you, know? you hear she's her
0: still, growl a little bit you hear her
2: growl she you know she says she's getting hungry but i don't you know there's never i never feel like she's gonna eat yeah you right. know, we, one of the we other never see
1: her. And, we never see her lose control at all yeah.
0: She's kind of a vampire the same way that the kids who get transformed in Halloween are vampires. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it is definitely interesting to see. Uh, They do like to turn their regular cast into vampires, if they have the opportunity to change them back. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because we will will eventually see Xander and Willow as vampires as well. Uh, And when uh, Diamond Select Toys was doing... Their uh Buffy figures. They they certainly made the vampire Buffy because it's like, we need to have Buffy as a vampire, even though this episode's a standalone. Yeah,
2: I, I think her fear of being a vampire is it's more representational than the actual behavior mm-hmm. of the vampire. It's just being the opposite of who she thinks she could be, and being a monster on the inside, which also plays back into her self-esteem, which is being so played out her psyche being played out in her conversation with her dad you know her dad basically saying oh i expected more from you you're not a good person you know i I think it plays back into that vampire you know her imagining herself as a monster as a not good person as someone that's not worth as much because poor buffy
0: yeah i mean terrible giles's dreams are all about You know, failing in some way, losing control. And Buffy's dreams are almost all about failing and letting everyone down because she fails her test. She gets turned into a vampire. And if she gets turned into a vampire, that means she's lost a fight with a vampire. She dies. She's let her dad down.
1: Yep. No, it's all it's all failure for Buffy. She 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 fails as a slayer by becoming a vampire.
0: And even getting buried alive. That's that's all about helplessness.
2: And right. here's the trivia on that. Uh Sarah Michelle Geller is afraid of graveyards.
0: I, I've heard that, yeah. She's afraid yeah, I of being actually, buried
2: alive. I actually and being buried I actually have a quote that uh she says I have an irrational fear of cemeteries and being buried alive. It really is hard to be a vampire slayer when you're scared of cemeteries. Um and I know in this the first season they were shooting at an actual cemetery and then they mm. built the cemetery oh, right. set for the um, second season. I mean, one, because it was easier and um, mm-hmm. and you didn't have to go on location if you've got your yeah. set just right there. But yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar was just really, really afraid of graveyards. And, <laughs> um, and I think that's interesting. And I wonder if they knew that about her when they wrote the episode.
0: So um, we've talked about how this episode is really dark. Yes. Uh, but we haven't gotten on to one of the darker elements of this episode. And that is the whole storyline with Billy. Right. Um, Though it's a, a very important part of this episode because it is the cause of the entire episode. And I cannot believe when I was first watching this episode that I did not realize that, wait a second, this entire episode is based around a kid being Beaten into a coma. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and, and I mean, the, and when you see the actual baseball coach and not the ugly man, yes. he's like the epitome of the banality of evil. I mean, yeah, look he's at a, that guy. He's, he's complete so, nebbish. Totally. He's got, you know, nothing remarkable about him at all. He's a guy in a, you know, coach uniform and he's like, oh, yeah, just checking on yeah. Billy. Yeah, well but- I
0: had a really bad thought when I was I watching the fight between Buffy and the ugly man and you see the ugly man's hand where it's just like this bludgeoning object where it's just something to hit and I'm like oh my god. Oh my god, yeah. Billy was beaten with a baseball bat and I can't believe it. Like yeah. it's been 20 years and I didn't realize that until now. Oh, that's okay there's wow. there's
2: stuff later on you guys are gonna laugh at me at because i didn't get them until like last year but um uh, but yeah it's a it's a baseball bat yeah oh yeah it's a club arm yeah and i like the kid that played billy quite a bit I and thought i like he did I, like, a decent job he yeah.
0: he wasn't uh he was very subtle in what he did mm-hmm. um i i didn't feel he went overboard mm-hmm. um it did
2: look a little bit too much like the anointed one like color. Yeah, yeah I, there was a bit of that. Yeah. Um now he didn't have to stay, sit down the entire time to mass that he was growing.
0: Yeah. Um I was kind of wondering about the actual, you know, mystical reasons for why is Billy lurking around the high school? Because, oh, if,
1: <laughs> I've been waiting for this. <laughs>
0: Hellmouth. Yeah. I, I mean, is there more versions of him, like, all over town? Is it the proximity to the Hellmouth? Can he sense Buffy? And that's why Buffy is the one who is able to see him through the episode until the end? Yes. Like, what's going on?
1: Well, I, I, <laughs> All I of the above? You, I, I'll give yes. you your answer. The mechanics of the supernatural stuff in this episode do not work at all. Okay, <laughs> it is there. Are, I I've got like question after question after question. Like, so like, why does he usually manifest nightmares of people? But in only one in in one case, he manifests the ugly man to beat up this girl in in Sunnydale yeah. High. Why is he at Sunnydale High? Because this seems kind of initially confined to Sunnydale High. Yeah, and. Like he's not a high school student. No. Uh, why? You know. Why does he sometimes appear when the when the nightmares happen, but other times they don't? He doesn't. It's like there is no consistency to this at all. It is all. It is all down to we need something to happen, so we're just going to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was coming up with a lot of different reasons for Billy to be lurking around the high school. I mean, the the hellmouth is right there, so that might be the reason why. Okay, uh, that why, one.
1: Yeah, that one I can go with. But it,
0: it could be the hellmouth. It could be. I don't. They never actually address where he was beaten up, and at least around mm. here, and I live in a town that's probably about the same size as Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. Uh, little league teams will play wherever there is a free baseball diamond so sometimes you will have little league teams playing at the the diamond near the high school so maybe it was around where he was being yeah i think
2: that yeah i think in my community not all of them some of them have their own dedicated little league fields but in some of the more rural areas um or like the outskirts with less money they they do play at the high schools when nobody's using yeah It, it's mm-hmm. all a
0: matter of scheduling because all of that stuff tends to be done through like the the parks and rec- recreations. So yeah. they kind of don't give a crap like what school it's near. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but yeah, I, I think the question of why Billy's at Sunnydale High is probably the least problematic, the least problematic question of of all my questions about what's yeah. going on.
0: And there's also like. When they split up, was that be was that because of the nightmare? Was that dream logic, or was that because I mean that just released really it out to me where it's like we got to split up and find Buffy, and it's like right. I haven't haven't you guys been in this situation for ten episodes now? How do you know you never split up? It's like the only way I could explain it Willow
2: comments on it though. She does. She's like, um, yeah. okay, yeah, um, yeah. I it's interesting just between the three of us as doing this podcast together um i'm always the one that's like trying to dig deep in the psychological and thematic ramifications of episodes mm-hmm. um because it's just who i am right and sure. you guys are the ones that like are like oh no no, no there was a thing and i'm like oh yeah ha. Huh? <laughs> so i just i i think it works i do think it really works because we can point out different things. Oh, I, I absolutely! I like think I fall somewhere in the middle. Because you are in the middle. Anything. You're sort of the, the mediator <laughs> yeah. between the two. Uh... Yeah.
1: Oh yes, no, I I am a nitpicker. There is no question about that. And but the thing, I mean, the thing is, though, I mean, I I freely admit that I didn't think about all this stuff the first time I watched.
0: This. Oh yeah, definitely. But, I mean, um, I'm
1: part of part of the reason I'm nitpicking is because I'm doing a podcast about it, so yeah. I'm actually like watching it and taking notes. And I, and if I'm in that mode, I'm just like, okay, that doesn't make sense.
2: Uh, I (laughs) didn't notice it the 20th time I watched it, so i think we're okay. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's fine.
1: I mean, that's, I mean, that's the, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing. That's why Buffy isn't, I mean, like, yes, I've got problems here with this episode, but the fact of the matter is the reason that even this episode is a good episode is because if you're just watching it, this just goes by you. Yeah. It it works. I even think this though is though there are these problems. If you sure. stop and think about it,
2: I think this is one of the strongest episodes of the season. Oh, definitely. And one and one that really does not get enough credit. No, it like I doesn't. forgot. This is a really impressive episode. And and like I said, I really enjoyed the way it was sort of shot and Buffy's relationship with mm-hmm. Billy. It was mm-hmm. and it, and the, and the whole the thing centering around dreams, right? Because mm-hmm. um, we're going to see that again and again, and not just uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is like a big thing in Joss Whedon's work. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you want to take the whole context, just not even Buffy, just what Joss Whedon does, he's fascinated with dreams and dreamlike qualities. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- there's lots of dreams in Angel. Which is part of the same universe. Yeah. Obviously, Restless is going to happen in a couple seasons. Dollhouse has
0: quite a few dreams. Right.
2: And uh, River Tam stuff in Firefly, all some very, even all the way up to, and it's not my favorite movie, all the Scarlet Witch sequences in Age of Ultron. Yeah. Um, And I think it's because Joss is really fascinated with the psyche of characters that's revealed through. Their dream lights—the stuff that they don't say on the surface, yeah—but the the inside, the inside of motives. So it's it's definitely going to be a theme in his work, right?
1: Everywhere. Well, I was thinking—I mean, you know, what what Shakespeare play did he adapt?
2: Much to do about nothing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sort of, you know, there's a little the psyche. There is a little. There's stuff going on
2: yeah
0: yeah now i just looking at the list of episodes from uh the first season i mean we will definitely get into this more when we get to the uh first season wrap-up but Mm. nightmares is probably in my top four if not higher yeah yeah it is yeah yeah it's
2: really solid and i don't think i realized until i watched it how how solid it is, and how mm-hmm. impressive I felt, and really emotionally impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode is, um, yeah. and I overall thought it was great.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 a good, it's a solid episode in and of itself, but it's also like this is the point where we're on the final road to Prophecy Girl.
0: Yeah, and this is this definitely begins, building to Prophecy Girl.
1: This this starts that road. It's it's like for the Doctor Who fans out there um you know the end of uh new season 3 of Doctor Who yeah when you know you're you've got the uh story in the far future which basically begins the s- the story that goes through the next two episodes at mm-hmm. the end of the season yeah with the master so yeah. it's uh, it, it's 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 like that to some extent i mean it's not i don't think it's as continuous cuz these are this and the next episode and Prophecy Girl are kind of individual episodes, not a continuing story per se. I mean, this ends here, but it is thematically and in feel, it is, this is like now, this is this is where we're going now.
2: Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I, you know, and it's been a long time since I've seen Out of Mind, Out of Sight, which we'll be, you know, reviewing next week. Mm-hmm. But maybe, you know, if these were flipped emotionally it much more leads into prophecy well well i think
0: the way they do it uh is that this episode the this is setting up the characters for what's going to happen in the next two episodes and yeah. with out of mind out of sight yeah uh gotta make sure i get it the right way around uh there is elements of of that episode that turned up in prophecy girl so they're uh-huh. almost like a two-parter but you know still separate so this is kind of getting the characters into the right place for the finale uh just emotionally psychologically so we should yeah. probably be getting into final thoughts
1: um they have a wizard of oz reference at the end
0: they do have a wizard of every time that somebody wakes up from a coma, yeah. they have a Wizard of Oz reference.
1: You say that like like whenever when someone wakes up from a coma is like <laughs> something that happens all the time on TV. <laughs> it's
2: just... uh, yeah, the only other thing I have is that um, it's always weird for me to see Dean Butler, who, who plays Hank Summers, because he was so much of my childhood that he was actually kind of a crush for me. He played a uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder's future husband on um Little House on the Prairie, which was like huge in my house when I was <laughs> growing up. So um and I think that's I don't know, most people my age would probably recognize him from that, but nobody picking it up now as a sixteen year old would even give any thought of that no of that actual, you know, relationship. But yeah, it's like Elmonzo Wilder. And my other thing was like I the casting for buffy's parents sometimes you see parents on television shows and you're like okay how did that person come out of those two people yeah but i can 100 percent believe that sarah michelle geller came out of christine sutherland and dean butler like they really look like they're related yeah Mm -hmm. which was pretty great you don't you actually don't see that very often you always mm-hmm. see, like, the schlubby guy with the really hot daughter, and you're like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: I mean, there's, I'm not bail- bagging on schlubby guys. I'm like a schlubby gal, so, you know, it's not... Yeah, no, yeah, um, no, no. No, but it, it just...
1: It, there are many times it just doesn't look right. It, right, it just, yeah, just doesn't. Yeah.
2: And in this case, they really...
1: And in this case, yeah, it does work.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. really, really good casting there. Um, and I hate Hank. Hank fucking sucks. Yeah, he's terrible, and I know he's dream terrible. But I think a lot of it is is truth. I think a lot of what
1: I I, I don't know. I I have to say I I mean I'm not going to say it isn't true because we don't know. But the fact of the matter is, so much of what he says strikes me. And and granted, I am not the child of divorce, so this is not something I'm personally familiar with. But I certainly know many people who are children of divorce. This really does strike me as exactly the kinds of fears that children of divorce often have.
2: I oh, mean yeah, it's, a it's, it's, it's like, like
1: but all of it seems like, and and I don't, I I hate to say this, but like standard issue children of divorce fears. It's mm-hmm. like what I what I imagine. I and again, I could be wrong. But what I am the like, there's nothing there that strikes me as specific to Buffy.
0: It definitely is, uh, you know, standard um, for children of divorce. But the fact that Hank does not show up again on the show not you know for more than just a couple of minutes and the thing is in season right. five he's got a young daughter with joyce that he just kind of completely ignores so mm, yeah there's that
2: yeah of course that's no, a whole I mean, weird
1: situation I, I, anyway
2: yes it is yeah. it is very much classic check your boxes of things that divorce children or children of parents that are getting divorced will be thinking and healing, absolutely absolutely but uh, yeah i just it really colors every way i feel about hank probably for the rest of the Mm -hmm. series Mm -hmm. because he abandons he abandons buffy and then by you know process he abandons dawn you know and and buffy right i don't know and just and again i think it also the reason that hank is so terrible is because then, then we can contrast it with how great giles is yeah you know, and and who's you not without his faults? He makes mistakes, but it right again. I said earlier, he loves Buffy. He loves her, and I can just like feel that their relationship is so central to my enjoyment and love of this program. So,
0: well, actually, the next time we really actually deal with anything, Hank. I mean, he, he, we see him before this, but yeah. in uh, helpless. Uh, he's supposed to take Buffy out and he just, you know, he can't be bothered to go. And Buffy immediately, her action is to go and try to get Giles to take her because she wants her real dad to take her to the ice show. She does. right?
2: I'm sorry, I've given myself feels right before we stop. (laughs) Mm. I know, right? Uh... Also, my other note is Giles remains absolutely hot. So that's well, yeah, all I have. That's <laughs> I have to get the running commentary in there every time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually
0: had posted on Tumblr the other day. Uh, while I know. I was editing audio. I was like. Do you know what? Andy and I just, you know, we'll drool over Giles, and I'm sure David's just sitting there going, it's like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna look at my watch, they'll they'll get it out of their
2: system in a minute or two. (laughs) I'll
1: I'll just sit here and think about Willow for a while. That's fine. (laughs)
2: I posted a picture back at you of Giles being sexy. So, you know, it is what it is. We all have our thing. Mine just happens to be Giles. Absolutely.
1: I mean, I can't say I blame you. Giles is terrific. I, I, I know. You know he's not my type, but but he's a great guy. <laughs> he is a great guy.
2: I do love. I do love the. Do you love the Ripper? Mm. And, and we'll
0: be seeing Giles again, as well as everybody else except for one person, in uh, the next episode, which is out of mind, out of sight. So until then, grr Arg, grr Arg, grr Arg. We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube at returntothehellmouth, on Tumblr and Facebook at returntothehellmouth, on Twitter at hellmouthreturn, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our show on iTunes and Stitcher. Also check out MC's YouTube channel. See you on Tuesday for Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Grrr! Arg!